Hello and welcome to PodPod. I'm Rihanna Dillon, your host, and this week we're talking to Holy Smokes, otherwise known as Adam Jarrell and Joel Emery. They're both writers, they write fiction podcasts. You might have heard The Offensive, a mockumentary podcast series similar to the likes of The Office, but set very much in the football world. They've also written Jackie the Ripper and Boom, which is a groundbreaking, immersive audio fiction podcast which has returned for its second season and it's set in the 90s. It's framed around the Enron scandal and it involves extortion and time travel, of all things. A really kind of fascinating spectrum. It comes under Stack. We obviously spoke to Luke Moore recently from Stack. So now we're hearing from the writers themselves. Joining me this week are my faves, Reem Mokari and Adam Shepard. How are you guys doing? Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. I'm good. Life is good. How are you? Surviving. Yeah. <laughs> Surviving. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good way of good way of putting it. <laughs> What's been going on recently? I feel like I have missed quite a lot of like podcast news recently because I've been doing Kermode and Mayo. I've been standing in for them for the past couple of weeks. And my my life has been very much film and TV, and I haven't really been keeping track of what's been going on in the podcast world. So guys, it's up to you to tell me all about that. So one of the things that's caught my eye this week is that audio fiction company Realm has just bought a couple of other podcast networks. So the networks in question are Kids Podcast Network Pinner and Unscripted Podcast Network Lipstick and Vinyl. Now, Realm is behind a number of big name podcasts. They've produced tie-in podcasts for the likes of Warner Brothers. So they've done a couple of Batman DC ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also did a podcast continuation of the TV series Orphan Black with uh, Tatiana Maslany. Oh, yeah, amazing. Um, yeah. And Realm is a really good example of how audio fiction is growing. You know, they've gotten to the point now as a, a company specializing in audio fiction where they're looking at expanding their footprint beyond that to genres like uh, kids and family, which is what one of the podcast networks they've bought has focused on, and also sort of unscripted chat podcasts, which is uh, the other one. And in total, those networks have about 375 hours of content between them, which is not including all of the podcasts that Realm already produces. So yeah, I think it's it's a really good example of of audio fiction really on a growth trajectory. So this is in the US. It's a fiction network that is taking over nonfiction stuff. Why is this news? I just think it's interesting with Realm because they this is they're trying to expand their global presence. They're trying to expand their audience and they're looking at other genres and seeing what parts of the market are going to be attracting more people. And so kids and family podcasts, there was a new research that came out recently from Edison and it was talking about how kids are becoming more engaged with podcasts, both as like a fun activity and also as an educational tool. So it's, there's definitely a market for it. And I think 
think acquiring an audio company that focuses on kids and family podcasts is a really good step for them in terms of mm-hmm. if they're going to branch out into other genres. And then also with Lipstick and Vinyl, that's I think one of their first expansions into unscripted podcasts and they're a fiction company. So I think them incorporating things like chat shows and interview style formats is also going to get a different type of podcast audience that might not necessarily be into fiction podcasts, but will be into that type of genre. So I think they're they're really just making their presence known as a big podcast company and and expanding out of that just like fiction podcast label. Do you think that if you are to be a successful podcast network, that you do need to have like pretty much one of every single genre that you could possibly have to really get into the ears of every podcast listener to cover all bases? So maybe not one of every genre, but maybe just keeping an eye out on what is trending and what people are engaging with the most. So Mm -hmm. in the UK, for example, one of the biggest podcast trends was news podcasts, news and political podcasts for a while. And then you would see a lot of um, publishing houses and a lot of podcast companies looking at creating more news podcasts and now creating more economics podcasts. And I think that's looking at what people are responding to and adapting Mm -hmm. and then changing up your format to match that. I think that's like a smart way to do it. But I think if you were to try and go to every single genre, then you're just going to be going too broad and then you're not getting that niche audience anymore. So it might end up just being you know, exhausting all of your efforts and not really getting much reward. So it's just really listening to what the trends are, what people want to hear. It's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see how podcast companies and networks do expand in the way that TV companies do or channels do, where obviously you have these kind of huge, like monolithic companies who do try and do pretty much everything. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if podcasting goes down the same route. I think it's time to hear from Adam Jarrell and Joel Emery now. So this is me and Adam talking to them all about their fiction podcasts. Hello to Adam and Joel. How are you guys doing? Hello there. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, good. Thanks. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited about this because I'm a film critic and it's really exciting to have like a narrative podcast to kind of really sink my teeth into. You've given us at least three, which is very exciting. So first of all, we kind of want to know how you got into writing fiction podcasts, because it sort of feels like there was a time before that and a time after that, and it really kind of exploded. At what point did you get into fiction podcasts? Joel and I, if we go right back to the beginning, Joel and I know each other from secondary school. Oh, wow. Um, Cute. And I'm... uh, yeah, but I'm the year above, so I'm so Joel's really cool because he's hanging out with someone from the year above, and I'm a bit of a loser. But I was always involved in the arts. My my background is acting and singing, and Joel and I didn't know each other too well. But then we we both moved up to London within like the same month to pursue our respective careers, and ended up living about 10 minutes away from each other, didn't we, Joel? And I think we begrudgingly were like, let's go for a pint, even though we're here to make new friends. Yeah, and we made loads, loads of new friends. (laughs) (laughs) Loads of really cool new friends. And then Joel was always writing. Well, I'll let you take over, Joel. Yeah, I was writing, obviously nothing happening with it because, well, it shouldn't have done because it wasn't very good at the time. And then Adam obviously started getting roles in various things. And then we 
basically came up with the idea of a terrible feature film that I'm not going to give the name of because I don't want anyone to ever watch it. We basically did that because Adam had started to make contacts by having various roles in things and the production company that he'd worked with before wanted to make a movie. So we did that. And it was kind of just a big learning experience with, you know, a terrible feature film coming out at the end of it. And then we did a play called Good Cop, Bad Cop. And I think off the back of both of those experiences, Adam had learned how to direct. I'd learned how to write. And we were teeing up new projects. I'd gone to work in TV. I was in sports broadcasting for a long time. And Adam was kind of all over the world. He was the lead in various shows where he was singing. <laughs> I was not I was not singing. And we basically realized that our next idea could either be TV or nothing because it wouldn't work as a play and it wouldn't work as a movie. TV companies didn't fancy it. It was the offensive. It was basically a, a, a short demo of a mockumentary of, of a fictional Premier League football team. And then Adam did a podcast where he interviewed actors and I was listening to it. And then I asked him if he thought that the offensive could be a podcast. And he said, yes. And then we made it. Yeah. And I've been ruining the day ever since. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for those that don't know, The Offensive is a bit of a beast. It was a five-year show and it came out every week and it would be written, performed, uh, directed, edited in the space of a week. And it would reflect up-to-date football events. So Ashwood City, our fictional team, would play you know, Manchester United or whatever, and we would include the, the sort of the cultural references and jokes of, of that were going around football in that week. And by episode seven, or it was about 2018, when episode seven or eight was out, Luke Moore of Stack DM'd us on Twitter and said, I've just listened to episode one. And I think it's really funny. Would love to have a chat. And then he messaged like two hours later and said, I've listened to the first six episodes. We've got to meet. And then we <laughs> met with them. We met with them and we, we released it on the Ramble. And that was obviously, they, they were almost like a tailor-made audience. And then it all kind of blew up from there, really. We went from yeah. kind of 12 downloads a day to 1,200 downloads a day. We were one of their first shows that they signed, I think. I could be wrong there. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Luke, if I'm wrong. But I think we were one of, the, <laughs> one of the first two, maybe. That's how we discovered what we have, a quote-unquote, fan base. And then we have made a couple of shows since then in Jackie the Ripper and Boom. That's where we are. Boom is set in the 90s and is kind of very heavily wrapped up in the context of that time period. How do you use sound in fiction to create a sense of time and place without being able to use visual cues and without being able to use kind of large amounts of licensed music that might otherwise sort of set the scene? That's a really great question, Adam. And I think the very first sort of teaser that we sent to Stack when they said, have you got anything else? And we said, we're working on something, was full of licensed music. So obviously we were just sharing it between each other just to sort of set the scene. Well, it was Jennifer Lopez, wasn't it? Yeah. What was it? We're waiting for tonight. That was a really good demo. Yeah, thank you. You can tell you're a trained singer. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, I'm available for weddings and et cetera. It's my Jennifer Lopez <laughs> tribute act. And I will say from the off, the time we spent on boom as far as the edit was an absolute luxury joe will probably think why didn't you do it earlier but it was a case of just there were so many layers to it so many layers like you say because of the limitations of not using licensed music but we used sort of sounds of the time such as like the nokia 3210 ringtone which everybody mm. knows i wanted to make sure that if you heard a commercial that it was from that 
you know, just, just like 10 seconds of a commercial in the background. Like for instance, in season one, when Jim walks into a blockbuster, the mm. blockbuster he walks into is an actual advert from 1999 for the state of wow. Texas. It was a, it, so, so I have, I've got, my Google search history is wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was just a case of, of finding these elements and also taking things out as well, whereas sometimes you can, you know, we, we all have access to a lot of sound libraries, which I'm sure you do as well, where you can find, you know, elements of soundscapes to layer on top of each other. Sometimes you'll hear busy US city street three and you think, oh, that's a good one. I know that one. And you listen to it. And then in the back, just just fraction of a second in the background, you hear like a Samsung Galaxy or a, an iPhone. Right. And I was, oh, yeah. right. So you have to either take that out or chop it and loop it. So it's, it, that's really boring answer, isn't it? But it's, it's <laughs> kind of, it, it's like that. But with, I think with it being, and this makes this makes me feel really old. I don't know about you guys, but with it being a period piece, mm. Mm. <laughs> stop it! I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. It's not good, is it? Cut that. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But w- w- with it being with it being a period piece set in 1999, we grew up through it. So I, mm. it was almost like it was it was really fun to kind of create those sounds and find those those different sounds of of you know there weren't any electric vehicles on the road. Music had a different feel to it. Mm. I love the 90s. I love my, you know, my favorite bands, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, I love 90s wrestling, 90s sports. It was a labor of love. It really was. Boom is so ambitious and, you know, not least mm. because it's set in the US and it's much more kind of sprawling in terms of character and content and, as you say, genres, and is also inspired by a true story. But as you said, you know, you're, I think we were probably around the same age you know, in the 90s, this isn't necessarily your era of being an adult aware of like the Enron scandal. So how much more research did that take? And why was this a project that you wanted to tackle, bearing in mind it was so maybe far out of your comfort zone compared to football? Weirdly, we had come up with just a drama about Enron first before we had added in any other elements. Mm -hmm. I basically said to Adam, I think, oh, I've had this idea for a while where it's time travel, but it really is restricted to just an internet connection. They can, you know, adjust a, a, a router or they can adjust a proxy server. It's basically a VPN, but for, for time rather than place. So then we kind of put those two together. We just mashed two ideas together that I think fit really well. And then that's when it started to feel ambitious. But going back to Adam's question, it felt really, really ambitious when Stack reminded us, and we're not stupid, but they did remind us, you cannot use any, you know, officially licensed content in this. You've got to make it sound like 1999 without Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> so that that is when it started to feel really, really ambitious. But the goal was always in the same way that, you know, Stranger Things made us feel about the 80s. Boom was supposed to make us feel about the 90s or at least the the turn of the millennium. Basically, it was like a little bit of a release for me and Adam to go and pursue this thing that felt really, really premium, really Hollywood. We always had sort of a, a, a mythical TV show version of it in our heads, like Obviously, we care about what it sounds like, but what does this scene actually look like and mm. stuff like that? So, yeah, yeah. Um, in the yeah. in a lot of the direction, I would sort of tell the actors that the camera is staying with you, right? And the, and you know, the, so we I would sort of direct as if it was for screen without the need to have a massive budget for those cameras. <laughs> we really wanted to get a filmic feel from it, but I think I think if if anybody's listening now is on the fence 
about listening to audio fiction, please do try out Jackie the Ripper. Please do try out Boom. I, I, I'll always recommend the offensive to football fans, but as far as like something you can binge, something you can enjoy that is written as a film or as a, a series, really, then yeah, Boom and Jackie the Ripper are the ones. Mm. So I'm really interested to hear you say that you've written it from a sort of visual standpoint almost because for many podcast companies having projects optioned to be turned into film and and TV series is one of their sort of primary goals. Is that something from a sort of business perspective that you've had in mind from the outset, not just from a creative perspective, but thinking, right, let's build this from the ground up, that it be super easy to to flip it for Netflix or Amazon yeah. or whatever. Yeah, completely. It was a proof of concept piece. I don't know mm-hmm. how much I can say on this, but uh, but I, what I will say is all three of those shows that we've mentioned have been optioned in, in one form or another. Oh. There's big obstacles after that point once you sign on the dotted line for those companies to, to go out and make them. These companies these days have a lot of IP. We are living in a in a bit of a golden uh, golden age of maybe not gold of, of of television quality, but definitely television <laughs> money. There is a, there is a lot. There's big players in the game these days. Apple and Prime Video are, are way bigger than what conventional studios are. So lots of people are looking for IP, and those shows have been optioned. And Boom was the first where we said that from the start of if we have a good proof of concept here, this is something where we don't necessarily have to care about the downloads and advertising revenues and things like that. Mm. We can really care about, can it make that, that leap from audio to to TV or film? So yeah, in answer to your question, you're completely right. Boom was from the beginning meant to be that Jackie. I think I realized after writing it that, Oh, there's a, there's a chance there. I mean, I'm not stupid. Like it's, it's subject matter and a, and a title that I think, a lot of people maybe find problematic or a little bit worrying. And then the offensive, we always thought, well, no chance because we're just upsetting every football fan and their <laughs> beloved club. It, there's like a swear word every like one and a half seconds or something. Oh, it's mad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is mad. But like I say, we got lucky with all of them. They were all um, gobbled up in one way or another, yeah. That's really interesting. Has that been affected by the ongoing WGA and SAG yes. strikes? <laughs> Yes, it has. Yes, it has, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why it's beans on toast again for dinner. <laughs> it has been affected. We're in the fortunate position of obviously owning our work. So I have been asked to, to write further on those projects, but the, the production companies themselves deliberately put the brakes on all projects. It doesn't matter if, if oh, this one actually you know, the producer owns it and they're happy to work. Like, it doesn't matter. They've put the brakes on everything. So we'll see how it all works out. You've mentioned sort of some of the actors that you've worked with across the series that you've done. You've worked with a number of actors across multiple projects. How involved are you in the casting process for the shows that you write? Do you have a strong hand in picking the people that are going to fill certain roles? Do you write certain roles specifically for certain actors? Joel and I cast our shows completely, just the two of us, don't we, Joel? We have our sort of little black book of actors that we've worked with. I'm fortunate enough, my background's in theatre, and I worked in theatre for about 15 years, and there's a lot 
of performers that I know who have always said, oh, I'd love to do a bit of voice acting. Mm. And I've remembered. And then <laughs> 10 years later, I've gone, hiya, it's me, it's Adam. Do you remember? <laughs> and because it's just one of the senses, because it's just audio, it takes out a lot of boundaries that a performer might have. They're just not young enough. They're just not old enough, right. that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And when we have people come and audition for us, we like to take our time and just make sure that we get the right person for the job because it's 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 unforgiving. We can't we can't change a shot if someone's reaction isn't as good. We can't it's it's there. Once someone is speaking, that's them and they are front and center. And we've been very, very fortunate to have a fantastic, fantastic cast in all of our shows so far. With Boom, it's very important to us that we cast American actors in the in the lead roles. We have uh, Gabriela Garcia and Alejandro Turan, who are Mexican actors who are in season two. Uh, it was very important to us to have that. My dear friend and housemate, Amari Douglas, oh, who was in so Channel 4's It's a Sin, he's been a dear friend of mine for a very long time. And it was just a case of, do you fancy being in Boom? And he was like, yeah. And then he read the scripts and he was like, I can't wait. And I was like, fat. <laughs> yeah. But as far as the the one-on-one with actors, there's nothing better. I absolutely love working on Boom um, because we record that in the studio at Stack and th- th- they let us use the studio, which is fantastic. It's a superb studio. And we sit around the table and we record it and I'm like, wow, this is what it should be like. We're so used to recording remotely mm. due to the pandemic and also the fact that our lead actor lives in New Zealand. So we always record remotely. So for Boom, it was a real luxury to be able to sit down with these fantastic actors and really play with a lot of the scenes. I think there's there's one scene that we recorded and I got two hours of footage. And then when I edited the scene all together, taking best bits from different from those different takes, I remember messaging Joel being like, whew, big editing session today. And then I looked, I looked at the final project for that scene and it was three and a half minutes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This yeah. is why we envy chat-based podcasters. Oh yeah. <laughs> if only. If only. But also going on the casting thing, it's turned into, and I don't want to give away not you can't call it a business model, but like a part of what we do, we've got work a lot of the time with other companies doing things outside of fiction, that, but that have fiction elements. We've got work off of the fact that they know that we're comfortable working with actors for a start. Cause I think a lot of people are quite trepidatious about that, but then also mm. we know how to go and find them, cast them. We know what they expect. We know what we need to be looking for and stuff like that. So it's ended up being not a superpower, but it's ended up being like an arm of our business, if you want to call it that, because I can understand how to a lot of other audio companies or even just generally media companies, that is just such a mystery of how do you find the right person? Mm. And then once you've got the right person, how do you direct them? Mm. And how do you, you know, get what you want at, at the end of it? And once you spend five years doing it, like Adam and I have, it feels really natural. But I can totally understand how that is unnatural to a lot of to a lot of companies. In terms of writing for a podcast and kind of writing with that sort of episodic series in mind, how does that structure affect the way that you approach a narrative? Do you sort of have like, I don't know, like a story of the week and then an overarching one? Or is it just a continuation? The offensive, I was just wishing for a shorter narrative arc. So bear in mind, we would go from August to May. Mm. So our football season narrative arc was 35, 36 episodes spread over 38 weeks. Wow. And 
you're in audio and uh, people hate it when I say this, but it's true. You're not, you haven't got people's full attention because when people are listening to audio, when they're commuting, when they're doing an odd task in the house, when they do whatever they're doing, you haven't actually got all their attention. So when I'm trying to feed in this like story arc that will be, will come to fruition in 31 episodes to go, <laughs> I just became like constantly, not frustrated, but I constantly had to be like, right, let's drop this in this episode. I'm going to make this thing a bit more obvious. That's going to mm. be a bit more obvious. Then when Jackie came along, the story arc, unfortunately, for, for season one was obviously was decided by Jack the Ripper, you know, 130 years ago. So I knew the people that needed to be murdered and where and when. And then it was about in season two and three, it was about almost kind of flashbacks in terms of finding out who did it, why they did it, etc. Whereas Boom... I ruined it for myself again because I said to St- I said to Stack I'm going to set each season will be set in a year so it's, season one's in 1999 season two's in the year 2000 six episodes spread over a year is is really tough to yeah. write it's really hard so it was again it was using those important threads of when did Enron hit this landmark what happened to their blockbuster deal and when did it happen what was happening in the US at that time what's happening with the election and then building in our story of what's happening in our sort of dark sci-fi side of things bear in mind for people who haven't listened that season 1 opens on 9-11, but it hasn't happened. It's yeah. just a normal day. Mm. Yeah. So we have to keep, that. that's our kind of point that we keep coming back to as well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So we, we are, we're reaching a certain point in quote unquote the future in terms of how the show is concerned. But as obviously us as listeners, we know it. Again, I, I haven't had this great sort of like writer moment where, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to weave in my storyline here and my narrative arc will be this because I've, I've either done something like the offensive or I've bound myself to real real events and in Jackie in particular it was important that we stuck with the sequence of events otherwise it just felt like a sort of like gratuitous thing to be like and then they got murdered they got murdered they got whereas I wanted people to realize that you know all those officers are based on officers at the time all those victims are based on victims at the time all those suspects are based on suspects at the time so yeah, to answer your question, I'm yet to have a moment where I feel like I'm in control of a narrative arc. <laughs> You're not giving yourself credit there, I don't think, at all, because you clearly are. <laughs> in Am I? Okay. Well, okay. As long as it seems that way, that's fine. <laughs> if I pan the camera now, it's just writing on the wall everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> on the subject of restrictions, I'm interested in sort of the the structures that you put the uh, particularly Jackie and Boom into because obviously with something like radio fiction or you know TV shows films etc there are certain structural restrictions that you have to abide by in terms of episode length you know how long the season runs for podcasting is much more open than that you could theoretically have seasons be as many episodes as you like episodes could range wildly in terms of time if you wanted it's kind of largely up to you guys so why did you put in the structures that you use and did you have to kind of fight the temptation to step outside those guidelines at times i think with the story that that we wanted to tell it fit within a six episode structure a kind of i guess I would say old fashioned, but it's coming back now. A kind of a, a TV release schedule. I mean, the the Last of Us, I think, only had six episodes, didn't it, for its first season? And we were at a time when people were doing twenty four episodes in a season or something. But mm. I think with it being 
I think in season one, each episode was around about half an hour between yeah. 25 and 35 minutes. We thought that's, that's three hours, like, you know, over uh, one season for three hours, which is a, a, you know, a pretty long film. And we thought that that's, a, that, that's probably enough for this, this part of the story. And it was, I mean, from script to actually being released, it's probably about eight months. So if we'd have taken on any more, we would have shot ourselves in the foot. It would have been delayed even more. Mm. We had a bit of imposter syndrome as well because we were like, oh, it's, you know, it's this big shiny, like premium thing that we're making that that we hadn't made before. It was American. It, like you say earlier, Rihanna, when you were saying we weren't actually adults in the nineties, like we weren't, we weren't Jim's age in the nineties. So there was also that kind of feeling in there. And I think six episodes was like, it, yes, it was laying down a gauntlet and just like trying to get that done. But also I think if we were like, oh no, actually there's there's 10 or whether maybe there's 14 in this season. I think we were both constantly keeping it on a short leash just so we kept our discipline really. And yeah. J- Jackie was five episodes each season just as it was because it was released in Halloween week. Episode one was Monday, episode two was uh, Tuesday and the Halloween was okay. on the Friday, I think. I could be wrong there. Um, and then we kind of repeated that and I liked the kind of canonical five kind of like reflection of things. And then the offensive was just a complete mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That was, you, honestly, you'd get episodes that were 20 minutes and one second because we had to make it 20 minutes for various reasons, one of which is an advertising model. And then you'd have some episodes that were like 48 minutes, 54 <laughs> minutes, just yeah. did whatever we want. Yeah, absolutely mad. But in terms of listener habits, do you find that your audiences binge your, especially your narrative, especially, you know, the the short series, do they binge them or do they space it out? And how do you, so you just said that you dropped Jackie the Ripper one every day for a week, but then what about Boom? And does that affect the way that you approach the structure as well, knowing how quickly you're going to drop? It's funny this because we've had very strenuous conversations about this about a month ago, haven't we? With every everyone yeah. at everyone at Stack and us. Mm. So, for full clarity, Boom season two. I was just worried that there's so much information to take in that it sort of all has to it all has to go out in one go. Mm-hmm. But the argument that sort of came back was like people are into they don't give in terms of audio drama. It's not like TV where you you give it twenty minutes and you go I don't know. Audio drama, people know. They People know if they love it or not. We were sort of guided by Stack in saying that we can see, we've got the metrics here to see that your fans, people you're trying to write for and direct for and act for, they're into it and they're following and they're going to keep following with you. So yeah, Bo- Boom is being released weekly this season, season two. Yeah, and there's a there's a model of the ACAST Plus model for Boom Season 2 as well. We dropped the first two episodes, and if people just want more and they want to binge it for a fee, they can have access to all the oh, episodes. So it, okay, it, yeah. it didn't it didn't change the editing schedule or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was all, it was a, so, you know, if you pay the small fee, you get all six episodes whenever. Um, but, yeah, we are now today, Monday, 24th of July, we have just dropped episode four. So in two weeks, they'll all be out. So yeah, we've got to push that. Did you find that people did do that? Did they pay a fee to get it all at once? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a few that I've had a few messages of people who have done it and have binged it and have gone, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah. That's quite nice. So we'll just, I, I, I don't know if we'll know how many until, and I, I have a feeling people might do it on the penultimate one where they got, I have to know the end. Oh, really? And, then, and it's a little bit like, you should have done it right at the start. You would have got more for your money. But yeah, it's, um, <laughs> I know what I'm like, and I'd probably do that. I think I'd probably say, oh, I'm not paying for it. That's because I'm from Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, then it'll get to the last episode. So I go, oh, go on then. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, but, but I, I will say, as far as our listeners, we owe a huge thank you to our offensive listeners and our fans who mm. have trusted us with, you know, Jackie the Ripper was, it was a step change, but it wasn't too far. It was still a comedy and it was still still sharp, very quick, very witty, mm. and people really enjoyed it. And the majority of our listeners came from the offensive and then from Jackie to Boom, a bit more of a jump with it being a drama. There's still elements of comedy there, but they have come along on the journey with us and we're so thankful. And we have a very, very solid core fan base who are our Patreon subscribers and they sort of, you know, give us feedback on stuff. We use them as, I wouldn't say guinea pigs, but sometimes we're, like, we're thinking of this and then they'll be yeah. like, oh, yeah, good idea. And we really respect their their opinions because they're the ones who are parting with their hard-earned mm. money to support Joel and myself. Because, you know, these shows are with Stax and they meet, they trust Stax's word in terms of, you know, when a show is kind of pitched their way in, a, in an advert or whatever it may be. But also they trusted us. They wanted to hear what, what we had to offer. And, you know, they came along for Boom, which was, like Adam says, is, is a big difference, big, big difference between The Offensive and Jackie. Yeah, yeah I, will, I, I, I will just say as well, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but going back to when we first sent that teaser to stack my wife who i lost in in december of 2020 she heard the teaser that we made and she'd read joel's first script and she was always very very supportive of everything we did but she heard the teaser she read the script and she just put it down she said adam you and joel have to make this like you have to make this show which is amazing so obviously now that it's in its second season you know i'll always be eternally upset that that lucinda didn't get to hear boom but it kind of made us, we, we weren't necessarily on the fence about making Boom. We were always going to make it, but we were really like, right, we really have yeah. to. We really have to now. Yeah. Like, she told us you know, to. Yeah. yeah, she told us to. So yeah, so I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that as well, as far as like Joel and I, we have a lot of ideas and we've got a lot of work coming up, but we, as far as like channeling what to do after the offensive and Jackie, or what, while they were running, actually, we, we, we made the decision to make Boom and I think it's been a great decision, Joel. Yeah, I agree, mate. One of the things about Boom that's that's come up a few times is the sort of film quality kind of production values and that sort of element to it. Does that present any challenges in terms of the production process compared to something like a, a chat podcast or indeed something like The Offensive? You know, does that add a lot of overheads in terms of the, the edit and the production side? Not not necessarily overheads or challenges time is Mm. the main thing it's just so time consuming i always feel guilty when it's taken me months and months to edit an episode of boom and then joel's edited a whole series of jackie the ripper in the time i've done one episode (laughs) but it's just a case of layering it very thick and also tom wally who's a incredible sound designer he helps me with the final edit for boom so i go up to nottingham we have a day together in his studio and it's always high fives and yeah it's just a fantastic day when we we put the final shine to these episodes i will say this this really is peeking behind the curtains season one of boom was done on garage band oh. and, and and then i sent it all to tom and he put a pull he put the curtain a nice back shine. adam pull the curtain back across yeah yeah sorry <laughs> sorry <laughs> I think also, I suppose that we were with Stack, so we had their studio. I don't know what it says on their books in terms of how much that kind of thing costs, but uh, that was obviously really helpful. Mm. I think also we're always really aware of the actor's time and what they're doing for us. Mm. And a lot of the time when we're making the offensive, our pitch kind of was, this is the fee. It's not the best. It's not the worst. We 
insist on not taking more than 20 minutes of your time in your home. So for Boom, it what they weren't in their own home anymore. They were coming to a studio. They were taking time out of their day. So we our production fees immediately went up because you can't just offer those same rates. So I think in that respect, that was the first time we'd fleshed out a proper a proper budget for something. Yeah. Because before it was it was kind of playing it by ear. The offensive by its nature was being played by ear. So yeah, I think that that that's a production cost that you have to think about. You you you're taking that actor out. And you've you've got them for half a day or a day, and it's important that they're paid accordingly. Oh, Joel, maybe we should do a two a two person chat show. <laughs> <laughs> let's do that. We'll do that. Let's next. do that. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, that will be boom season three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the future, then, what are your kind of plans? Because you have you've covered so much already. You've covered a lot of genres, subjects. So, what's next? In all honesty, we don't actually know what we can and can't say here. It's rubbish when people say that, and I'm sorry that we're saying that. No, it's yeah. fine. It's but we don't want to get in trouble. It's contracts. It's not personal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Essentially, there'll obviously be a boom season three. As I've alluded to, there's a number of sort of narrative documentary shows that we're involved with that we haven't necessarily written, but they have been directed. They have been cast by us. The sound design is by us because essentially you know, things like Jackie the Ripper and Boom will sometimes land on, you know, producers' desks and they'll say, that sounds good. Let's get the people who made that. And a lot of the industry at the moment is looking towards, I find, towards narrative documentaries. We do have a massive project coming up. I can't say what it is or when it's out, which is annoying and I apologise. Can you say whether that's a podcast or a TV thing? Or It is a podcast. We are working with the fruits of the option deals obviously that our shows have had but yes we are we do have another big audio comedy weekly show and yeah otherwise it's boom season three is the next thing in our sites yeah boom season three it's 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 the next next thing that we can talk about we've got work coming out on our patreon as well and i think as far as like directing people to what we are doing next we're on twitter and instagram at holy smokes audio so I think it's called X now, Adam. It's not called Twitter. Oh, sorry. It's called X now. Okay, great. We're on X. (laughs) X us. Give Uh, us an X. Is Boom Season 3 written yet? No. Do you want to help me do it? (laughs) My consultancy fees are very reasonable. (laughs) I will say, you know the ending of Season 4. Don't we? We oh, do know we where do it's the going. Season four, and I will say that yeah. the in in Boom Season Two, Year Two Thousand has just we say the Year Two Thousand has just come to an end. So Two Thousand One is beginning. Obviously, the huge world event happens in Two Thousand One, mm-hmm. but for those that don't know, that's also when Enron crashed towards the end of Two Thousand One. So, yeah, it's a big writing task, a big hurdle. That one, Season Three. I can't wait to hear it, Adam and Joel. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure it's been to talk to you. I've loved it. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having us. It's been great. Thank you so much to Adam and Joel for joining us. I really, really enjoyed that because it was just like one of my normal like BAFTA Q&As, just talking all about the craft of shaping a story, which is really fun. Mm. What about for you guys, though, in terms of fiction podcasts? Is that something that you do tend to listen to yourselves or not really? Reem? I've dipped in and out of fiction podcasts. Um, Mm -hmm. Whenever I see big names coming on to fiction podcasts like Rosamund Pike and Tatiana Maslany, like I've I've listened to Mm -hmm. some of these, but I've never been able to 
really get into it. I don't mm-hmm. know. I think I I need to have the visual element personally. Interesting. But I've been interested in the craft of fiction podcasts ever since we did our pilot really, really early on, which was with the fiction podcast with the Silk Voices. Yeah. And just listening to creators talk about the art that goes behind the making of a fiction podcast from the scripting to the sound design to the casting. I just think it's so, so interesting and so creative. There's so much creativity with this medium Mm. and the way that they can really create something that's so enjoyable is it's just amazing listening to people talk about it. And I think for me, one of the really interesting aspects of fiction podcasting is the IP dimension that it has. I mean, Luke Moore from Stack was saying uh, when we interviewed him uh, the other week that IP is a big part of why Stack as a company is getting into fiction podcasting. You know, the potential for selling that IP to people like Netflix or Amazon or whoever. And it's interesting to hear them talk about the fact that they effectively designed Boom for that purpose or certainly with that purpose in mind Mm. from the get-go you know they were thinking during the writing process about things like camera angles and shot composition and all that kind of stuff i know i am interested though in how much that is designing it you know with a business hat on for you know ip licensing and how much of that is just as young writers thinking in visual storytelling kind of conventions and whether that's just kind of baked in. That's exactly the thought I had, because I suppose as a listener and somebody who consumes quite a lot of visual content, I it was very easy for me to visualise the stories that they tell, especially Jackie the Ripper, which I've listened mm. to in its entirety. But also, I suppose it's a world that I know. It's London. It's talking about the Met. They use kind of very recognisable British things that we might see around every day, everyday things. And then with Boom, actually, I found it harder to visualise because it is a it's a slightly more made up world, and it's a, a bit more impenetrative, I suppose, in terms of how they use the sound design because it's it's less recognisable to me because I was only a child during this era. But I kind of loved that as well. It sort of it, it took away from the me having to picture everything like a film, and it just made me really think about the sound of it instead of translating it in my head to a visual medium. So I kind of enjoyed them both for very different reasons. I've got to say, having listened to Boom and the the density of the audio and the the soundscape. The thought of putting that together in terms of getting, you know, sourcing all the the foley and sound effects and then layering that together gave me the horrors because, (laughs) you know, it's just uh, that must have taken a monumental amount of work, particularly because they do the vast majority of it themselves. Listening to it, you'd expect there to be a bigger production team behind it. Mm. So it's very impressive. And inspiring. Also, I don't know about Boom, but I've seen with fiction podcasts, there's so many fandoms that like, they have been able to capture the podcast visually. Like I'm, it also adding to me being a cultural consumer. <laughs> I, I, I used to love 
scrolling through Tumblr. I still kind of scroll through Tumblr now and scrolling through Reddit as well. And there's fandoms on there who listen to these fiction podcasts and then they create images and fan art that captures the podcast like exactly the mm. way that it describes the characters. And it's amazing the stuff that they could do with it purely from sound because the, the creators yeah. themselves are not actually releasing any images of the characters. Like they're allowing the fandom to create that on their own. I just think it's so cool what they can do purely from sound. I just found everything incredibly useful because I, I feel like we weren't really asking them about advice for people who are trying to start their own fiction podcasts. But I, mm. I feel like there was a real structure there to how people could do it from scratch. And the fact that it is just about, again, as we say with everything, just knowing how to edit and having an idea about sound. And Adam has this network of actors that he uses. But when I was doing casting for audiobooks, you you just have a look on agents' websites and you just kind of email them and ask. So it's not maybe as difficult to penetrate as it might seem. Um, I would, I, I just, I kind of love the idea of people starting out from scratch doing fiction podcasts and sort of cutting their teeth in fiction podcasts. Cause I mm. think that's just, it's just such an exciting medium for me. If you do have any recommendations for fiction podcasts, please do send them our way at PodPod Official. I would love to hear some more because I feel like Jackie the Ripper has really opened up a need for me to listen to more fiction podcasts. Thank you so much to Adam and Joel for joining us this week. And thank you, Adam and Reem, for chatting to me. You can find out so much more on PodPod.com. Sign up to our daily email bulletins and please do rate and subscribe. The podcast is produced by Emma Corsham for Haymarket Business Media, and I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon. I'll see you next week. Bye.